0: I think we've talked before that I coined the phrase bond vigilantes back in the early 80s. Right. And they're back. Um they uh, they kind of were asleep for a while because inflation really wasn't much of a problem and the bond vigilantes vigilantes job is to uh, you know take law and order into their own hands in the capital markets and the credit markets if uh, they feel that fiscal and monetary policy makers are out of control. And I think uh the bond vigilantes uh, my guess is they feel pretty comfortable with what the fed's been doing they've been laser focused on bringing inflation down and uh, raising uh, interest rates and that's obviously hurt uh, bond bond investors but at some point uh, that that uh, will be good for the bond investors uh it's the fiscal side i think that's got them really riled up um and that's that's where we are seeing this uh, recent spike in 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 the rates
1: Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Welcome you to a special interview today. You'll see I've got a different background. I am recording from the road while at VidSummit, which is the world's largest gathering of YouTube creators. Uh, But the content creation doesn't stop just because I'm on the road. So we're here bringing you another interview uh, this week, a great one with Ed Yardeni. Uh, you know him as uh, president of Yardeni Research. Uh, he puts out some of the best uh, charts and uh, and research, particularly on um, uh, markets in general, but certainly what the central banks are up to. Um, I interviewed Ed a couple of months ago. A lot has happened since then. So I'm very excited to get this update from him uh, as where he is in terms of his thoughts on Does he still remain a bull under these market conditions? Does he still give odds of a soft landing going forward? Um, Definitely want to talk with him about what's going on in the bond markets. Ed, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure, Adam.
1: All right, Ed, like I mentioned, there's a lot to talk about here. Why don't we start with what's going on in the bond markets? Because I think that's really been the big news Uh, this week, the week that we're talking, uh, the 30-year treasury uh, hit 5%, um, 10-year treasury is getting close to that. Um, In many cases, yields are higher than people could have imagined a year ago. Um, What's going on? What's driving this increase in yields right now? And how much further do you think it could go?
0: Well, the increase in yields that we've had since uh, the low in 2020, when it was 0.52%, now it's, as you said, the 30-year is uh, already at uh, 5%. The 10-year is uh, moving in that direction. It's still uh, kind of below 4.8%. Uh, while we're we're talking, but uh, I think what's going on here is that uh, the bond market suddenly cares about the supply-demand dynamics of the treasury bond market. Uh, In the past, uh, supply and demand never really mattered much to the bond market because uh, the deficit uh, typically widened during recessions. That's when we had our most increase in the supply of treasuries relative to demand, Uh, but meanwhile, private sector demands for credit were drying up in recessions, uh, the Fed uh, s- switched from uh, raising rates to lower lowering rates during recessions. And uh, this time around, though, it, it is different. What's different this time around is that uh, the deficit's widening. And uh, part of that is because of uh, interest rates driving up the interest outlays of the federal government. And so that's become a, a concern uh, to the bond market, especially since Fitch ratings downgraded uh, U.S. Uh, Treasury Debt from AAA to double A plus. I mean, nothing really changed in terms of the uh, the ability of the federal government to pay. Uh, I think what uh, that downgrade brought brought home to everybody is that you know we've got a serious problem with this deficit. It's uh, it's been widening. Uh, we've got a lot of debt, and as interest rates have uh, been going up here, uh, more and more of uh, the outlays are going to just to, to fund the uh, the interest payments. So I think it's a supply-demand issue. Uh, The the bond market is uh, repricing the yield to a level that uh, will bring back demand, or equilibrate, or rebalance the the bond market. And um, I'm I'm hoping that's uh, somewhere around here, around four and three quarters, uh, five percent. The risk is that uh, it's it's not uh, high enough, and we're going to go still higher. Uh, You know, uh, in some ways, we we've sort of normalized the bond market. Uh, we're back to where we were before the great financial crisis uh, when the yields were between four and five percent for the ten years so now we're between four and five percent obviously closer to the top of that range um but I'm not uh, sure that the economy can withstand much more than that uh, it, I think it can handle four to five but higher than that I think we're going to have uh, some problems
1: I'm smiling Ed because as a good interview guest uh, you went right to where my next question was going to be which sorry is- about that no, no, it's great, which is, can the economy actually handle these rates? So you just said 4 to 5%. You think the economy could handle that. Now,
0: it it, the, it, it, it has been handling it in, in some ways. I mean, you know, I've been talking about a rolling recession, and uh, the, the, the economy certainly has had recessionary uh, developments, but they've been going through different sectors at different times, as we discussed last time. And on balance, the economy has handled ha- handle it. Well, as have consumers. But go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you.
1: No, no, okay. Um you're, you're taking into the territory I want to take it into, which is um, you know, the economy we can we can say had had been habituated to much lower rates. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um so some might even say addicted to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um so for some period of time, uh, you know, it, it, it can absorb the, 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 rise in rates that we've seen over a relatively compressed period of time. Right. right? Now this brings up the question of the lag effect, right. Which is, you know, can it, can it sustain these rates because it quote has been so far, Mm -hmm. or does the lag effect, you know, with enough time, does the lag effect break something and and, and bring things down here? Um, I guess first, just to clarify your general assessment, do you think it could sustain at four to 5% or do you think at four to 5% for long enough things start cracking?
0: Um, I don't know for sure, but uh, I think the odds right now, based on my kind of study of the history, uh, is that the economy can withstand 4 to 5%. The period you referred to was the period between the great financial crisis and the great virus crisis. Uh, I refer to that as the new abnormal. As you said, interest rates were abnormally low. There was quantitative easing, um, and money was basically uh, free. It was remarkably cheap. And now, within a matter of three years, we've seen the bond yield completely reverse The drop um, during the 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 new abnormal back then, and now we're kind of back to the the old normal. The old normal was four to five percent rates from two thousand and three through two thousand and seven, and you know there's certain sectors that obviously are interest rate sensitive that have already uh, gotten hit. Uh, Housing, for example, uh, hit got hit really almost really quite uh, quite rapidly uh, early last year as mortgage rates zoomed up. 7%. To 7%. Now they're zooming up to 8%. But there are plenty of people who really want to buy a house. And sometimes it just takes them a while to get used to this, this level of interest rates and put the money together from relatives or from deciding that the, you know they're gonna be willing to pay up more for a mortgage. Um, so I, I think single-family housing may actually have bottomed. It's multifamily now that may be going into a rolling recession. Uh, the math just doesn't really work anymore rent inflation's come down dramatically there has been probably overbuilding uh, in the places where people are moving to the south and the west Um, and that's uh, bad news for the economy it's great news on the inflation front because we need rent inflation to uh, come down in order to bring the cpi inflation rate down and i think that's uh, that's happening but we've had a recession in the goods sector people went on a buying binge uh, uh, once the lockdowns ended in 2020 uh, they wanted to buy services they couldn't buy services so they just binged on goods and uh, by the time retailers were able to restock because a lot of the merchandise got stuck in the ports couldn't get transported on trucks by the time the stuff arrived in 2021 and, and 2022 guess what <laughs> consumers said no mas, uh, we're going we're going we're going on the road we're going to travel and so uh, there was a there has been a recession in retailing and they had to discount prices and That's helped to bring uh, inflation down. Uh, now the consumers uh, have swung uh, to services, but there's evidence that the goods recession may be ending. Uh, the manufacturing purchasing managers index is still below 50, uh, but it's been turning up the, the past uh, several months. So, uh, rolling recession should be covered uh, followed by rolling recoveries, and I'm I'm seeing one in the in the goods sector. I'm certainly seeing con- continued strength in uh, uh, in construction of uh, Manufacturing facilities. I think we're going to have lots of strength in infrastructure spending by the by the government. But the recession is definitely rolling into the commercial real estate market now, and uh, that's going to be a multi year uh, recession in that uh, in that marketplace. And it's affecting not just uh, old urban office buildings, but every, every commercial real estate property that was financed at record low interest rates. If uh, you know, if it's tied to variable rates or it's going to start uh, rolling over into a new debt uh, the math just doesn't work with uh, interest rates where they are now and what's happened uh, to um well to tenants in in some areas and just the whole change in in the in the economy i mean people are continuing to massively buy online and that's affecting uh, the malls and we know that malls have been in in some trouble so uh, I think the question is whether all the, you know these rolling recessions can all add up to, into an economy-wide recession. I think the answer is yes if the consumer caves in, uh, but uh, the employment number still the employment situation still remains pretty strong. I know the latest ADP number was weak, but the job openings are there. Um I think we're seeing some easing in the tightness of the labor market. but I think uh, the labor market's gonna continue to create jobs. I think wages are rising faster than prices, so I think the consumer, Uh, hangs in there. I I know the delinquencies are going up. Uh, We got uh, auto sales today and they kind of were flat. Uh, They're not taking a dive, you would think, uh, with auto credit getting tighter that uh, people might be uh, hunkering down. But all in all, it just looks like, um, you know, I find myself in an interesting forecasting uh, situation here. At the beginning of last year, I was arguing about a rolling recession rather than an economy-wide recession. Now I'm saying, well, you know, that strength in the third quarter was probably a a fluke and things are actually going to slow down Uh, but i don't think to slow down to the the point of a recession but uh look it's not a um, you know it's not a hundred percent situation
1: all right um ed great answer Uh, i took so many notes because there's so many things you touched on that i want to take into with you um why don't we why don't we start with housing? Um, and I definitely want to talk about the consumer, too, because yes. there's some we're talking on a day where I think data just came out that showed that credit card spending uh, really took a big dive in September, which may right. be an indication that the consumer household is beginning to to really weaken mm-hmm. here. Um, but but let's let's start with housing. Right. So I think housing is a great example of what I was sort of asking about with a lag effect. Right. So um, you mentioned how high mortgage rates have gotten seven. Um, housing prices really haven't come down that much though i mean i think on an annual basis they're they're still down maybe like one percent or something like that so we have had more than a doubling in the cost of a mortgage and we really haven't seen any relief on the price side yet how how do we avoid that i mean it's supposed to be a mathematical relationship just almost sort of like the bond market right you know higher rates lower prices so um, I, I'm really interested because you said we may residential housing may be borrowing here, and, th- and then I want to get into multifamily and, and commercial real estate in a minute. But but first off, just how do we have such a dramatic increase in the cost of mortgages and not pay a price on the price side?
0: Well, as, you know, it's it's widely recognized that uh, existing homes that they just aren't uh, aren't on the market. There there isn't a supply of existing homes because a lot of people actually got it got locked into their homes by uh, refinancing at uh, record low mortgage rates and uh, the thought of uh, moving to another house with a mortgage of seven to 8% is daunting. And so a lot of people say, you know what, let's just redecorate the house. Let's just stay here. We don't have to go anywhere. And so there's a real shortage of, uh, of that kind of, uh, of inventory. Uh, And so the builders have suddenly been finding that uh, despite high mortgage rates, uh, they can actually Build and find bu- and find buyers. Maybe they have to throw in some extras to uh, get the deal done. But there but is a demand for Just
1: to be clear, some of those extras are lower mortgages, right? Like four to five percent. more that's right.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, but uh, whatever it, whatever's going on, uh, we are seeing signs that uh, new home sales and uh, housing starts are bottoming, and that that uh, the rolling recession, which really started in the single family housing market. Maybe bottoming, it doesn't mean that things are about to improve dramatically.
1: Okay. Um, So in addition, obviously, to retail, right, whether whether there's another shoe to drop or not, right, I mean, you're right. Transactions are are kind of at historic lows right now because nobody who's sitting on a 3% mortgage wants to sell. Right. Um, But there's a lot of buyers that don't want to buy today either because it's Mm -hmm. the worst of both worlds, right? You get the high price and the high mortgage. Right. so uh, you you did said that you're you're much less optimistic about um, multifamily and commercial real estate. I have talked to a number of housing analysts on this channel recently who have sort of added validation to your your comments mm-hmm. there that you know inventory is coming on in a lot of these hot markets Correct. at kind of the absolute worst time, right? <laughs> uh, so it probably will make things worse there. My point is is if we see You know, a housing freeze on the residential side, which is kind of what we're seeing, right? You know, where transactions aren't happening. Obviously, transactions are likely to be impaired in the multifamily and in the Mm -hmm. commercial real estate side as well with your outlook. That's right. There's a multiplier effect. Housing is a big contributor to the economy, right? And there's a multiplier effect because when a house gets built, it employs all sorts of people, right? So, I'm just curious. I mean, it seems like the economy yeah. may take a pretty material hit from this cooling off of a, well, the housing market across all this. You sections. know, this the,
0: the housing recession has been with us for since the beginning of last year in the single-family housing area, and that employs a lot more people than uh, multifamily. And uh, yet we have a construction employment at an all-time record high. So how is that happening? And obviously, if you've got construction an all-time record high, there's a multiplier effect of all those construction workers who have jobs uh, are getting paid per- pretty well. And uh, there's a lot of demand for their services. And so they, they have purchasing uh, power. Well, the answer is that we've got a lot of the government spending a lot of, on infrastructure. Uh, there's a lot of onshoring going on because of the tensions between China and the, and the United States, because of the supply disruptions that occurred because of the pandemic. Uh, there's a lot of uh, constr- construction, of, um, the non-res- non-residential, non-residential f- facilities, particularly for manufacturing, manufacturing and const- construction manufacturing facilities has been uh, off the charts. I, I had to recalibrate my charts to kind of keep, keep them in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm watching the construction employment data. I mean, you're not going to see construction employment data keep making rec- record highs. So you're going to see it take a dive. If in fact, uh, Broadly speaking, the construction industry is in trouble, and right now that that's just not the way it's adding up.
1: Okay, so uh, on the construction side, you're right. From what I understand, um, there's been a there's been a lot of government stimulus coming in here, right? You, you mentioned the deficit spending uh, earlier in the conversation. Yeah. Here, it's been really interesting because we've had the Fed and the banks pushing hard on the brakes on the economy, and yep. yet we've had the administration and Congress pushing hard on the right. gas, right, right, with the stimulus. I'd love to get your general thoughts on that, but um, specific to the point you're making there, um, I have heard from some recent guests that I've interviewed, and I haven't had the time to, to really confirm this with my own research, sure. but that a lot of the approved spending for the Inflation Reduction Act and whatnot that, that's been flooding into the economy mm-hmm. this year is, is sort of, I don't know if it's expiring or coming up for approval, but but basically there's a chance that that could, could diminish materially from here unless mm-hmm. there's strong bipartisan support to continue well,
0: it. Yeah, I mean, I look at the monthly uh, outlays data that the Treasury puts out, and uh, honestly, I'm not saying that, that 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 spending has even really started in a, in a major way. Uh, the, the major reason that outlays have been increasing of late has been uh, we uh, provided in, in inflation adjustments for the Social Security, and interest costs have been going up. So the, the government spending, you know, it takes time for the government to spend money. Uh, they, it's easy for them to uh, allocate a lot of it, but to actually spend it is a whole different different issue. So that's actually s- still ahead of us. And a lot of what we're seeing uh, is actually been in the onshoring. And some of that may represent some tax incentives that are provided by the governments, which aren't showing up in outlays, but are showing up in uh, reduced uh, revenues. Uh, but uh All in all, uh, the the government spending is is still ahead of us. Uh, Again, I just don't see it in the monthly data that the Treasury puts out. I'm not seeing uh, the outlays excluding entitlements and excluding interest and excluding defense shooting up. It's just not not in the data. And that's where you'd expect to see it if, in fact, all of this spending that's been uh, allocated is actually uh, happening.
1: Okay, so just to restate that, for the folks that are saying, hey, we may start seeing the fiscal spigot turn no. off, yeah, you're saying, I'm not even sure it's been fully turned on yet.
0: That's what I'm saying, yes. Okay. It's not that I'm not sure. I'm not seeing it in the data. I'm very, yeah. like the Fed, I'm very data dependent.
1: Right, which is what makes you such a great guest, Ed. So thanks for this. Um, so let me ask you this sort of high-level question then, which is... Um, maybe this is a, g- a good time to get into the consumer side of the equation sure. but if, if if rates are if rates are back to the pre-abnormal highs so the yep. old normal highs right and you i think you mentioned like i can't remember what range you said but like two thousand four, four,
0: four to four to five percent
1: right but you, you, the years you used were like 2003 to, well, 2000. to
0: 2007
1: seven yeah. yeah okay one thing that's really different between now and then is the debt levels correct both at the federal level and just at the yeah. household level right and so we have a lot more debt to apply these higher interest rates to right so mm-hmm. so higher interest rates have a higher gravitational force you could say than they did before sure. right um but also you know incomes have not really kept pay, certainly haven't grown neither the national income neither the gdp or personal incomes have grown anywhere near as fast as, as the debt levels, whether it's the national debt or the total credit outstanding, right? Um, and even though you made a comment, which I believe is true, which is that uh, real incomes are now positive, are now experiencing positive growth again. It's yeah, a wages. relatively recent event. And uh, the charts true. I've seen show that like, I think it may be like two or three months they've been positive. Before then it was like 25 consecutive months of negative real interest rate growth. So my question is, is, if the cost of capital has gone up so much and it's being applied to so much more debt, like where is the income coming from to, to make it OK for the system to continue, you know, as if everything's all right?
0: Yeah, just just as a side note, keep in mind that uh, the government's increased in- interest expense is uh, increased interest income to uh, those who have government securities, uh, money market uh, funds, uh, treasury bills, et cetera. And so there is actually, you know, it is an outlay by the government. And uh, it's, it's a stimulative outlay when you think about it for uh, for consumers. Uh, their personal interest income is at an all-time record high. So is their dividend income, uh, by the way. But, you know, c- uh, corporate America uh, in the second quarter generated at an annual rate $3 trillion of cash flow. Uh, all-time record high. Uh, it's really tied what we had a couple of quarters ago, but it's basically an all-time record high. Uh, So corporations are still generating a tremendous amount of cash. They've got depreciation allowances that uh, shelter a lot of their uh, income from taxation. And so they're actually generating a tremendous amount of uh, liquidity and many of them refinanced uh, at record low interest rates back in uh, 2020 to 2023. So the lagged effect that uh, you typically see when interest rates go up and corporations have to refinance that's longer than usual and it doesn't all happen in, in one shot it happens over over time and uh we'll see we'll see how interest rates play out but uh, even if they stay here i think as i said before uh we did live with these interest rates before the stock market did rally and move higher with these interest rates before and i think it could uh, do it again there's also uh, still a tremendous amount of uh, liquidity left over from the pandemic. This notion that uh, consumers accumulated a bunch of ex- excess savings that they've now all spent and they're about to slam on the brakes. I don't buy that. Um, demand deposits are basically at an all-time record high in the M2 uh, uh, monetary aggregate. There's still a lot of liquidity I- in the system. And uh, uh, you know, just because people got windfalls doesn't mean that they spent it all. They could very well have uh, put it in their portfolios. And what we're seeing is that the net worth of the household sector rose to an all-time record high of $157 trillion during uh, the second quarter. And half of that is held by baby boomers who are retiring. And guess what they're doing? They're spending some of the retirement money, which might also explain why the consumer is doing so well. Uh, my friends uh, are, are are baby boomers. I'm still working for a living. Many of them are retiring, and they go out to restaurants all the time. They're they're, they're traveling. Of course, they stop by to, to take care of their health at healthcare facilities. But that explains why we've got record employment in the healthcare industry. Why we've got record employment in the hospitality industry. There's a lot of moving parts here that um, need to be factored in, um, and uh, I'm trying to do that.
1: Okay. Um, and, and that's a great point that you bring up there, which is that, you know, a fair you know, a material part of the government's outlay right now that's contributing to the deficit is payments to, uh, you know, uh, debt payments that are finding their way to holders of U.S. treasuries, right. which in many ways are a lot of U.S. citizens, right, yep. who are now finally enjoying uh, a return uh, on their yeah. fixed income right big which deal. they weren't getting it all before yeah, yeah it's a big deal so you know you say that the consumer is not doing so bad and and that may be a good reason why now i would i would underscore the consumer consumers maybe not doing so bad on average right I, yeah and,
0: i was exactly going to say that because i always get uh you know feedback saying you know well you live in a rarefied world you know maybe your friends are doing well but nobody else is, is absolutely correct i mean you can't really uh, generalize about the consumers. There are those who are not doing well, those who are living paycheck to paycheck. We know we we know that. Uh, but you know, you know, we're we're looking at the overall economy. We're looking at the overall impact of the economy on earnings in the stock market. And from that kind of tap down view, the consumer still still is spending.
1: All right. And and I, and I do want to comment, Ed, that the last time you were on we actually spent some time at the end of the discussion, opining upon the growing wealth gap in this right. country, yeah. uh, the toxicity of that. It's something that concerns you very much, um, but I'm not, not going to rehash that discussion because because we've already had it, and folks can go yeah. watch that that uh, older video if they want to get your your detailed thoughts yeah. on that. Um, all right, so um, you, you mentioned you know corporate America is doing well in the sense that we have profit levels, you know, total profit levels kind of back up to to where they've been at record highs.
0: Well, ca- ca- cash flow. Very important. I mean, profits are also are also near record highs. As a matter of fact, the S&P 500 earnings per share will probably hit a record high in the third quarter. We're in the middle. We're just starting the earnings season. And I think when all the data uh, comes comes in, we're going to find that the S&P 500 earn a record amount uh, during the third quarter. This is something we've been predicting for, for a year when others have been predicting that it's going to crash
1: right and and um I, I want to get in a moment to your your outlook for the rest of the year because I believe from your recent writings, you expect as actually several recent guests on this channel have, have warned uh, warned but but projected uh that the s p could actually end the year relatively strongly right mm-hmm. um so we'll get to that in just a minute but but for corporate America, you know again I'm going to say on average, right um it's probably doing quite well uh, for the reasons you mentioned, but I am curious going back to the lag effect, how concerned you are or your level of concern for the fact that if rates stay this high, if we stay higher for longer here, um, that as debt maturities begin to catch up with these co- com- companies, right? You, you mentioned that they did what you would expect when rates were cheap, they borrowed as much mm-hmm. as they could, right? So they've sort of pushed off the day of reckoning more than normal, but it, it, rates stay high here. It eventually will come. Um, and it's certainly going to hit the more over leveraged parts, more over leveraged companies, you know, yeah. first, right? And so, the, the zombie quote, zombie fleet, right? I mean, is yeah. is that something that you're worried about actually materially impacting? Yeah,
0: uh, look, I'm 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 worried about the same issues that uh that the bears and the pessimists are worried about. It just uh, I I tend to also point out that I try to be balanced about it and say, look, it's not like everything's going wrong here. Uh, I'm constantly getting emails from accounts and others. Uh, you know, give me a lit- a litany of what can go wrong here, and I welcome that because it kind of k- keeps me sharp. I I think I know the pessimistic story pretty well. If you wanted to spend an hour uh, and told me, okay, I just bury everybody in pessimism, I, I could actually tell the story pr- pretty well. Uh, but I'm not sure the pessimists could tell my story because um, they don't they, they they don't focus on what's actually going right.
1: Great, and, and I'm building up to a question here, which is, what do the bears have wrong here? So I, I very much want you to keep, you know, swinging at these pitches the way yeah. you are, and, and bringing the data that you're bringing. Sure. Um, real, real quick, just back to um, back to the, the bond market, uh, the, the rise, recent rise in yields. Um, you, you listed a number of, of factors, right? You know, things like the the Fitch debt downgrade. Right. right. Um, the the tightening by Fed, the Fed and the banks, the, the rise of supply of treasuries.
0: Yeah.
1: But none of that is like super new news. Right. I think those are all things the market knew had been coming for months, at least, right? So why why is it now? Why, why is the bond memo seem to be only getting the memo now?
0: Right. It's a very good question. Um I I think that you know the, the bond market basically has been focusing on the Fed. And uh, when um, the Fed started raising interest rates aggressively, uh, the uh, bond investors uh, along the way pushed bond yields up along with short-term interest rates. And then last summer, we started to see that uh, bond yields weren't going up as quickly as uh, the Fed was raising interest rates. Uh, The yield curve inverted, in other words. Uh, And of course, the pessimists said that was going to lead to a recession. And they could still be right. I'm not saying... Uh, that that they've they've been totally wrong about that, and as a matter of fact, uh, inverted yield curves have a very good history of predicting recessions. Why? Because what they predicted is that if the Fed keeps raising interest rates, something will break in the financial system, we'll get a credit crunch, and we'll get a recession. Well, the uh, inverted yield curve was right this time again. We had a banking crisis back in March, but the Fed uh, played whack-a-mole. Hit hit you know got its hammer out and provided a tremendous amount of liquidity. Uh, to to the banking system and so we haven't had a credit crunch haven't had a recession um and then this past summer a few things happened uh, one is that uh all of a sudden everybody was patting me on the back say you know uh, you, you said there wasn't going to be a recession and uh and, and and so far that that looks right and that kind of got my uh got me a little nervous here because my contrary instincts came out uh and i actually started to raise my concerns about a recession as i was getting complimented for having stayed the course on the idea that the economy wasn't going to fall into recession as you know at the beginning of the year that was kind of a, a widespread uh, talk so when the bond market came to that same conclusion hey wait a second you know um we, we've inverted here we're we're buying bonds at four percent when the two year is five uh, percent maybe that doesn't really make much sense if we're not gonna get a financial crisis a credit crunch in a recession and then, of course, we had the Fitch da- downgrade, uh, which I think really was a, uh, a a big deal. I think it really reminded everybody that hey, this deficit situation really is out of control. And and oh, and by the way, the Treasury announced that sure enough, they were going to up uh, the ante in how much they were going to have to raise uh, in the in the Treasury uh, market. And uh, I think ever since then, supply has become a, a very serious issue. And I think the bond market is just uh, trying to find a yield level that uh, will clear the marketplace. And I I think it's going to be right around where we are, four and a half to 5%. Uh, but as you know, there are people uh, talking about it spiking up uh, above 5%, going to 6%. Um, and if that were to happen, uh, let's do this again. And you'll probably get a more uh, pessimistic uh, uh, view for me, but, I'm thinking that inflation's moderating and that's going to help. I'm thinking the economy's uh gonna show some slowing without going into recession, and that's gonna help to stabilize the the, the bond market. Um and and the and the fact that yields are extremely attractive relative to uh, an inflation rate that right now has been coming down and may very well go still lower.
1: So I haven't seen them super recently but some of the last charts i saw in stocks versus bonds is that the the equity premium was like at the lowest it's been in like 25 years right right uh and bonds are only getting more attractive from a return standpoint correct um now you're you're somewhat sanguine still on stocks in the short term it sounds like um let's talk about that yeah okay short and long term okay great but we have this great alternative right now right i mean we've yeah. we've just gone through this multi-year era of tina right where there was no alter- in fact a long period of time <laughs> where there was yeah, no yeah. alternative and all of a sudden there's a really attractive alternative right now mm-hmm. but you still see stocks you know churning higher from here so explain right. that
0: well there's uh again as we all know there's it's head spinning uh it's a head spinning world right now there's so many m- moving parts um but with regards to this stocks versus bonds issue, first of all, bonds have to stabilize. I mean, nobody, you know, wants to buy a, a bond yield at 4.8 percent if they look at the past few few weeks and say, "My God, this thing could be at five, five and a half percent." And you know, let's what, what's what's the rush? And Meanwhile, you're actually being paid in money market funds not to do anything in the bond market, right? You're being paid five five percent. So, what's the rush to jump into bonds here when They've uh, the the velocity at which they've been increased, the yields have been increasing, has been uh, s- staggering and unprecedented. And everybody keeps talking about you know this is an unprecedented three year debacle in the in the bond market. So I think that's one of one of the issues. I think maybe when the bond yield finally settles down and people have a confidence that uh, it could stay here for a while, uh, then and it, and if it's in the four to five percent range, you're right. It could pose a challenge. Uh, for for the stock market but the stock market obviously is driven by two variables uh, uh earnings and valuation i started on my career by the way as, a, as an economist on wall street and then over time i t- took on uh, both roles as a strategist and economist i, I wanted to be a strategist because it's an easy job all you have to do is uh predict the uh, earnings and the valuation multiple getting getting them right is the tricky part but it's only two variables so let's talk about those for a second. Uh, on the earnings side, again, I think it's going to be at an all-time record high for the S&P 500 uh, in uh, the third quarter. We've, we've been talking about $225 per share this year for earnings. The analysts are at 220 right now. Uh, they tend to be too low going into uh, earnings seasons, so they could very well revise that number up. Uh, but 220 is close enough to 225, especially. Compared to some of the Wall Street's uh, pessimists, who've been talking about 180 to 200 dollars uh, for this year, so far so good. But uh, you know, got to keep looking ahead. Uh, looking backwards is, uh, is you know, at, at your successes or failures is only useful if you learn from them and, uh, and and use that to to your advantage for thinking about the future. In the future, I think that 2024 will be a a good year uh, for for earnings again, uh, a very good year. $250 a share in, in, in my uh, outlook. So uh, that's a plus for, uh, for, for the S&P 500. The negative is the competition from money market funds, from bond yields, and the fact that the valuation multiple is still uh, pretty high. Last I looked, it was about what, 18 and a half for the S&P 500 using forward uh, earnings. But as we know, the mega cap eight, I mean, some like to focus on the magnificent seven. I I like to include uh, Netflix in there. I watch a lot of Netflix. So I put it in there and uh, the mega cap eight now accounts for about 25% of the S&P 500. These companies are not going to go away. They're going to continue to account for a significant share of the market cap of the the S&P 500. And that being the case, uh, I think we have to factor in that they, they do have high valuation multiples. They're highly prized for all sorts of good reasons. For one thing, they don't have a lot of debt. And investors want to buy companies that don't have a lot of debt. So um, I, I think the the companies that have less debt are going to have higher mu- valuation multiples, and some of them have happen to be account for a lot of market cap of the S and P five hundred.
1: Okay. Um- and if we do have time i do want to ask you your thoughts um on the the ai part of the magnificent seven um, yeah. you, you've written some you know, you've written recently on the fact that you know everybody's making semiconductors right now yeah um, i'm curious to hear where you think that's going to go especially because it, it powers so much of the the, the general right. indices um back to bonds just for a second um so you're right. Um, people are looking at the yields going up and saying, well, they look really attractive, but I don't want to necessarily catch the falling knife, right? I don't right, want to right, buy them right. at 4.8 if they're going to be six at some point right. in the future, right? Um, but trees don't go to the sky. You know, at some point in time, we're, get, we're going to hit the plateau and, and then maybe mm-hmm. things will come down and we'll talk about that in a second too. But bonds, it looks like, are due for an unprecedented, treasury bonds, an unprecedented third year of declines, Correct. right? You've probably seen the same stats I have, right? Yeah. Like since the beginning of records in the 1700s, yeah. we've never had three years of decline. Uh, do you think that we will have a fourth year of decline or you know, are, like, are we in a truly different scenario right now? Or may this be a really wonderful bond buying opportunity because yeah. you know we've had this unprecedented third year, highly unlikely we're going to have a fourth year. And there may be other factors as well that you're looking forward to that you think could support bonds.
0: Well, I think there's uh, two alternative scenarios. uh, And I think in both of cases, uh, the the bond yield uh, declines. Uh, In my happy one, the uh, inflation rate uh, comes down. Uh, Consumers keep spending, but at a slower pace. So some of the anxiety that the economy is too strong uh, dissipates. Uh, The deficit is is still a problem, but uh, at uh, these kind of interest rate levels, there's enough demand to uh, balance su- supply supply and demand. Um, and in that scenario, the Fed could uh, very well deliver on the um, summary of economic projections that the FOMC recently put out, in which uh, they said that uh, if things go according to script, uh, we should be able to lower the Fed funds rate a couple of times uh, next year. And so that suggests that if you buy bonds here in that kind of scenario, uh, you might, Regret not having bought them at 5% if they spike up like that. As you said, the, the 30 is already there. Uh, but they should work out. Uh, at least you'd, you would probably earn the coupon. Uh, and uh, you might actually get some ca- capital gains on them. So, no, I, in that scenario, I don't think that uh, there's going to be a, a third year of uh, of a debacle in, in, in the bond market within the context of that scenario. The other scenario is an ugly one. It's uh, one that uh, Ray Dalio has been r- talking about recently. Uh, the hedge fund community, I think, is very excited about it because they're all short the bonds. Uh, and uh, the idea is that uh, we are in the early stages of a debt crisis and that uh, with uh, the government uh, deficits uh, increasing, with the interest uh, component of, uh, of the government outlays I- increasing, that uh, we're going to find that uh, it's going to take uh, five and a half, six percent uh, uh, bond yields to uh, get uh, supply and demand uh, in in sync, and then uh, at those kind of levels, I'm not convinced. Uh, as as are the the bears, uh, uh, they're not convinced either that uh, the economy can withstand that kind of uh, much higher level. Of, uh, of uh, bond yields. I mean, certainly, the commercial mortgage market would continue to uh, get annihilated, and that could that could spread out to to other credit issues. Uh, you know, we had a banking crisis in March, and this could could very well come back in this debt crisis uh, scenario. Uh, so, what happens there, of course, is private credit demands uh, evaporate. You have crowding out, which is a term we haven't really used uh, for quite some time. But you, get the government crowds out the the private sector and you get a really bad recession you get uh, a credit crunch or a recession you get deflation and and uh, that scenario you, we may not own enough uh, qual- high quality bonds I don't know that I'd want junk bonds in in that scenario but uh, that uh, you know government bonds even though there's plenty of supply of them uh, might be the only uh, game game in town so I'm I'm not sure um, I guess there probably is some scenario in which you know the the bond yield goes to six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent. I, I think that scenario would require that uh, inflation makes a surprising comeback that the uh, that that the Fed just uh, caves in that you know, suddenly everything's falling apart. so they stop quantitative tightening, quick switch back to QE and lower interest rates. It said uh, you know we even if it, even if we're risking inflation making a comeback, we can't uh, have this whole debt crisis implode the financial system. So that's a real outlier. Uh, it's, not, it's not where I am. It's not even where the debt crisis uh, bears are, in, in my opinion. It seems like what they're saying is, we just got way too much Treasury securities. Rates are going to go up to a level at, at which um, the rest of the economy can't uh, can't deal with it. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm I think we've talked before that I coined the phrase bond vigilantes back in the uh, early '80s. Right, and they're back um they uh they kind of were asleep for a while because inflation really wasn't much of a problem and the bond vigilantes' vigilante's job is to uh, you know take law and order into their own hands in the capital markets and the credit markets if uh, they feel that fiscal and monetary policy makers are out of control and i think uh the bond vigilantes uh, my guess is they feel pretty comfortable with what the fed's been doing they've been laser focused on bringing inflation down and uh, raising uh, interest rates and that's obviously hurt uh, bond bond investors. But at some point, uh, that that uh, will be good for the bond investors. Uh, it's the fiscal side, I think, that's got them really riled up, um, and that's that's where we are seeing this uh, recent spike in 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 the rates. Because up until the summer, we were kind of uh, between three and you know three and four uh, percent, kind of between three and a half and four percent. And uh, that seemed to be the 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 new the coming the the new normal or the return to the to, to levels that the economy can uh, could live with. And Then, bang, out of the blue, um, we got this uh, spike up in uh, the yields to currently four point eight percent.
1: All right, um, Ed, I get often criticized for for asking questions that are too long, and and I'm going to be very. Uh, validly criticized now, cause I'm, I'm looking at the time. We don't have a ton of time left. So I'm trying to munge a couple of questions together. Yeah,
0: sure. um, I, can, I can also keep my answers shorter. <laughs>
1: no, your answers are just great. Um, so I, I want to ask you what you think the fed's going to do from here. Um, you know, I've been talking to some people recently who feel pretty confident that even though they're guiding the market, there's probably one more bullet left in the chamber. They're not going to fire it, that they're really done. Um, in your answer, would love to get a stronger sense of your, your expectations on inflation. Sounds like you think they are going to become well-managed, but I'll let you describe that. I, and in I, your answer, I, one more thing, which is how long can the fiscal spending continue at its current rate, right? As a percentage of GDP, it is at an exceptional high right now. And and you you can't have fiscal spending like that eventually with, without creating more inflation, right? It begins to become contrary to the the efforts of the Fed. So if your answer, if you could try to tackle all those together.
0: Well, I think the Fed is done. I think uh, they've gotta be concerned about what they're seeing going on in the bond market. I mean, uh, mo- monetary tightening isn't just a function of where the federal funds rate is. So obviously at a restrictive level, uh, they've said that they, they think it's restrictive there's no reason to do another 50 basis points when the bond market's been tightening by 70 basis points uh, since the the last meeting. So uh, the, the bond market's done a lot of the tightening uh, for them, additional tightening. And meanwhile, uh, contributing to the rebound in bond yields, of course, has been the underlying uh, quantitative tightening where they've uh, been letting their balance sheet uh, run off as the securities mature. And by the way, the commercial banks have been doing exactly the same thing uh, because one of the things that happens when you go from QE to QT is you actually depress deposits in the commercial banking system. Uh, and on top of that, of course, uh, people are putting their money in money market funds rather than deposits uh, to, to a certain extent. So the banks, too, are letting their assets uh, mature. And um, so that doesn't leave too many buyers other than individual house uh, individuals, household investors, um, institutional investors, and, and for foreign investors. So I I think uh, the the Fed is done. I think inflation is going to continue to to moderate. We continue to see uh, we saw the latest uh, price uh, indexes from prices paid indexes for manufacturers and for service companies remain uh, low. That's come back down to where they were basically before the pandemic, before the inflation surge. So I'm I'm encouraged by that. I think quits have come down, uh, suggesting that the wage inflation should should moderate. People quit for a higher wage, and so that coming down is is a healthy development. Um The, the whole key here to a, to a happy scenario is that inflation continues to, to to moderate and that the economy slows somewhat.
1: All right. So if inflation somehow ends up resurging here, we're we'll in trouble. Back on the channel, and you you may have a different outlook for things.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, everybody everybody would have a different outlook. Okay, but there are right. people who are, are still, I guess, in that camp who think that, you know, it's just it's just going to stall out here and it's not going to continue to come down. What, what was the second part of your question?
1: Um, well, how long can can the fiscal spending continue at these elevated levels before <laughs> it really starts contributing to more inflation?
0: I'm, I'm I'm reminded of the generic answer to a question like that is I don't know, but we're going to find out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so you think we're going to keep doing it until we hit it?
0: Uh, the, you know, there's Nobody in Washington that really cares at all about uh, f- fiscal responsibility. Uh, ever since the pandemic, uh, both Republicans and Democrats have been on a spending spree. Uh, they've all seemed to have bought into modern monetary theory. That uh, and modern monetary theory isn't monetary. It's not modern. It's not a theory. It's just the notion that the government could spend it, you know it, t- t- as much as it likes in order to keep full full employment and. Um, you know they can use tax policy to beat down inflation wherever it pops up. I mean the thing is just ludicrous, but um, it's uh, I I think that's where the bond vigilantes come in here. Is uh, if uh, we if we don't see inflation continue to mo- moderate in the face of uh, the the uh, widening deficits, uh, then I think the bond vigilantes uh, will basically uh, push yields up to levels that uh, create a crisis and uh hopefully causely lead to a political solution but um there's so much partisanship uh, in in washington t- for them to agree on and you know, so how how do you actually narrow the deficit do you cut outlays uh, well the liberals aren't going to be happy with that or do you increase taxes well the conservatives aren't going to be happy with that so um it's going to take some grand compromise here to you know, to, to get the uh, Deficit outlook to be some, somewhat more manageable than it is right now, and factoring in that, um, as as we've been saying, the the real problem here is interest expense just mounting.
1: So, Ed, if I may, one of the big reasons where I really appreciate you and your willingness to come on this channel is, um, you know, I'm I'm always on the lookout. And, uh, I would say the, a lot of the people that I interview on this channel, I'm not I'm not selecting them for this. But the data that they're looking at gives them a more pessimistic view of where things are going. So people are always telling me, hey, look, bring in a bull, bring in a bull, right? And um, I would put you in the bullish camp on a relative basis of the people that I interview. But it's because you bring the data and you say, this is the data that is is causing me not necessarily to be bullish, but to be more optimistic than maybe most folks do. And, And there are people out there who are bulls. But for them, it's a philosophy. And in many cases, they're, they're, I think, can be validly accused of being like water carriers for either the administration or for financial advertisers or whatnot. Yeah. I don't see you in any way like that. Um, I think that you can point to a lot of things in this system here yeah. that you don't like, period. Um, they They may be what they are, but you don't right. necessarily like them the way that a lot of our viewers get enraged about a lot of other things that are going yeah. on. But I also get the sense that if your data changes, you will absolutely change your, sure. your, your outlook, right? So absolutely. I just have very yeah. much, what this channel is about is bringing on, you know, intelligent people to, to talk about how they interpret the data and what's so oh. important and what makes a market is intelligent people can interpret the same data differently, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I appreciate that your your view, while it is it is less common than the folks on this channel, it is, it is no less important to be looking through the lens of, a, of an analyst like yourself. So thank you for doing all that. In wrapping all this up, um, you, you've you've already given a good nod to a lot of this. But to get down to brass tacks, because this is a wealth building channel, and investors are, you know, looking for ideas to consider and things to look into. Um, it seems to me that your market outlook for the rest of this year and going into 2024 is pretty optimistic right now. Uh yeah. I think your latest numbers say that the the S&P you see, you know, could go to 4600 or so by the end of the year Correct. and then higher for next year for reasons yeah. that you've already largely shared. I think I heard you say you think bonds probably likely going to have an up year next year, you know, yeah. probabilistically. Um so at this point, are there any assets that you think uh you're, you're particularly encouraged by, and vice versa. Are there any assets that you would not touch right now, given your market outlook?
0: Well, look, uh, the energy sector still looks very attractive to me. Um, the energy companies, as a result of uh, climate uh, activism, uh, uh, particularly at, at the political level, have gotten the message that uh, they uh, can cut back on their uh, capital spending uh, and just. Um, Generate a lot of profits and a lot of cash with an oil price that's relatively high. Partly because uh, we're not uh, drill- drilling as much, so uh, the the result is uh, they're they're using their cash flow to uh, pay uh, in- investors uh, dividends. Have, have been very strong. Uh, buybacks have been very strong. Uh, so this is a sector that uh, should continue uh, to work. Some people may be philosophically against. Uh, investing here because of the the, the climate issue uh but uh, from a you know straightforward uh return perspective uh, the, these are very profitable companies that likely will remain profitable uh the, the large cap financials look uh very strong to me uh, they they are in good financial position i think there's going to be a wave of M&A activity uh, in the smaller banks regional bank a- area and that's what will uh keep the, those stocks from tanking uh, as uh, they uh, deal with some of their loan, loan loss problems. Uh, they're going to have to con- consolidate and uh, become uh, bigger banks or be acquired by, by bigger banks um, love technology. You know, I mean, uh, you know, they, they try to sell them the mega cap eight off uh, uh, last year. And uh, what the, the management's did is demonstrated that all they had to do was Fire some people and cut back some, you know, pie in the sky capital spending on metaverses and things like that. And wow, their earnings were phenomenal, and uh, so they 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 are, you know, real real players. Um, yeah, as I, as we've been writing, uh, everybody's getting into the semiconductor business. Uh, in in some ways, my my thinking is any company that really budgets a a, a good chunk of their Capital spending on technology is a technology company. They're they're not making technology. They're using technology uh, to become more efficient, uh, more productive. And I think from that perspective, er, most companies are are technology companies. They have to do it. They if they don't do it, they're just going to be le- left behind. Uh, so technology still makes uh, a lot of s- sense to me. Um, but um, I, I would leave it leave it there for now, as as overweights.
1: All right, thank you so much, Ed. I really appreciate you being so specific and so direct. That's exactly what we hope our, our guest experts do here is give people you know, individual asset classes to go off and research after sure. they've listened to these, these discussions. Um, all right, well, Ed, if you can hang with me for one second because I want to give sure. you the last word. I just want to share some resources for viewers here real quickly. Um, folks, just a reminder that Wealthion's Fall Conference on October 21st is coming up uh, super fast now, folks. It's less than two weeks away. The early bird price just expired this past weekend. That's the lowest discount that we offer on these tickets. Hopefully most of you locked in your tickets then. If you didn't and are kicking yourself, don't worry. We're still offering our last chance to save discount price for this week uh, before the tickets go up to full price. So if you missed the early bird, go lock in your tickets now at that last chance to save price. To go do that, just go to Wealthion.com dot com slash conference. And if you're an alumnus of one of our previous conferences, check your email, you should have the code for me that'll give you an additional 15% discount off of that. And just in wrapping up here, Ed gave us, you know, great outlook about the future. Um, a lot of good direction of, of different asset classes to go investigate. Um, if you are you know, a regular investor who doesn't have a lot of time, uh, has, you know, spends most of their focus on their family, on their job, et cetera, which I'm guessing covers about 98% of the people watching this video, I just want to reinforce our general message that we deliver every week that you should uh, consider working under the guidance of a good professional financial advisor in making your portfolio allocation and management decisions. If you've got a good one who's doing that for you, who also takes into account all the macro issues that that Ed and I discussed here, great, stick with them. But if you don't have one, or if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, consider talking to one of the financial advisors endorsed by Wealthion. These are the ones who see with me on this channel week after week after week. To set up one of those consultations, just go to Wealthion.com, fill out the short form there only takes a couple of seconds to fill out the form. These consultations are totally free. There's no commitment to work with these guys. It's just a free public service they offer to help as many people as possible, position as prudently as possible today. Um, If you've enjoyed having Ed on this program, would like to see him come back on soon, please let him know and encourage him by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. All right, Ed, for people that have really enjoyed this whole interview, uh, maybe this is the first time they've they've listened to you, mm-hmm. um, and they're interested in learning more about you and sure. your work. Where should they go?
0: Well, we uh, about a year ago created a, a product for individual investors, and it's uh, re- reasonably priced, and it's uh, really a, almost almost a daily. And it it really focuses on um, understanding how the the macroeconomic data inf- influences the markets and how to anticipate that. So it's uh, YardeniQuickTakes www.yardeniquicktakes.com, Y-A-R-D-E-N-I, and you know how to spell Quick Takes.
1: Great. And Ed, when uh, we edit this, uh, we'll overlay on the screen the URL so folks know exactly where to go. Folks will also have a link down in the description too. So if you just want to click on that and go there. Uh, I am a subscriber to the Quick Takes. They're great. Uh, I was prepared with all these questions for Ed because I read those Quick Takes all throughout the week. Um, Ed, it's been a really wonderful. Thank Thank you you. so much for your time. Really hope you can come back on the program again soon.
0: It'll be my pleasure. Thank
1: you. All right. Everyone else, thanks so much for watching.